Philippa Tolley and this is RNZ's Insight Investigation into Special Education in our Classrooms. Government assistance for children with special needs is under unprecedented scrutiny. The Education Ministry is overhauling special education. A parliamentary select committee is examining how schools work with children with autism and other disorders. And the whole system is facing a human rights challenge from advocacy group the IHC. Insight investigates what's working and what's not for children with disabilities at school. This classroom at Newmarket School in Auckland is at the forefront of changing the way special education is done. The Education Ministry says the current system is unsustainable, so at schools like Newmarket it's trialling new approaches. The so-called update of special education is still under development, but the Ministry is promising less complication and better coordination. Groups representing teachers, principals and the families of children with disabilities are sceptical. They say the update has some good ideas, but the heart of the problem is that it isn't getting the funding it needs. I'm John Gerritsen, and in this insight I find out why there's so much criticism of special education and what needs to change. Joseph! lunchtime! It's a quiet school holiday afternoon at the home of Justine Fletcher, Giovanni Tiso and their three children. The Wellington family's involvement with the special education system started eight years ago when they realised their daughter Lucia needed help. We discovered that there were waiting lists and um, we'd have to wait at least six months to see someone. When you have a two or three year old who is very withdrawn and not functioning, six months is an extremely long time. So we then went private. We ended up waiting more like a year. It's a bit tricky because you see people immediately, they come to see you right away but then that doesn't progress into anything. They sort of do an initial interview and they talk to you and they kind of... They tell you what you but, already know. But then the early intervention team, for us, took about a year to actually swing into action, so we had to pay someone to be a teacher aide in, at kindergarten for, for a whole year. It turned out that Lucia has autism and she was eventually accepted onto the Ongoing Resourcing Scheme, or OARS, a fund that delivers dedicated support for the 1% of children with the highest special needs. Her parents say they struggled with the early education system, but things changed when Lucia enrolled at her local school. She had school visits that catered for her needs. Everyone just said, yes, that's fine, right, what do we need to do to make her happy at school and you know, start to integrate and, and learn. That was a real change and um, it's been just amazing. It's still really, really hard. Having an autistic child is really hard, even if you've got lots of support and lots of money. It's still really, really hard. My heart goes out when I hear of stories, very, very regular stories too, of parents who just can't even get their children through a day at school because they don't have the support that they need and the attitude. Despite their positive school experience, Justine Fletcher and Giovanni Tiso see clear gaps in the way special education is run and are vocal advocates for change. There is a massive equity gap. You can get a school that is incredibly inclusive and it will go out of its way, it will dip into the pressure of funding to get the children what they need. But this is not the norm. The norm is you enrol your child and you know that you are a burden on the school and you're made to feel like you're a burden on the school and the school is going to say to you, you know, we're not supported, we're not adequately funded to deal with your child. We're not equipped to, to, to cater for your child, which is completely unacceptable. 
Is the computer not working? No, it's just that I have to get that connecting working. Half an hour's drive away on the other side of Wellington Harbour live Andrew Bird and Jan Wigmore. They have three children and the youngest, Max, has special needs. Max has been part of the special education system since uh, he was in preschool when it was identified that he had a severe language, expressive language disorder. He has auditory processing disorder and that has meant that he's had really slow language acquisition. The auditory processing means he finds noise really hard to regulate with his brain and hard to understand noise. He, I suppose, started with speech-language therapy at home when he was a preschooler, and then it's continued through contact with him up till seven through the special speech and language focus group. He's also always funded, which means that he is able to having 10 hours teacher aid time per week. Jan Wigmore says Max's teachers have been fantastic, but she's had to fight every step of the way to make sure her son gets what he needs. I don't think Max would have got anywhere near the level of assistance if I had not been relentless. Very little of what happened with the assistance that we received for him came uninitiated. At every stage I had to be aware of the bureaucracy and uh, assistance that was available to me and I had to actively get it. Even the disability allowance, which when you're talking to physicians they should be recommending it to you, I had to go in and ask for. So um, at every step you have to be a firm advocate for your child, you have to follow up. Our rules application uh, languished for over a year while staff changed at special ed. At no point can you let anything die. Jan Wigmore says state-funded assistance is only enough to ensure Max is managed in the classroom and does little to actually help him learn. So the family's paying $17,000 a year for a private program five mornings a week. It targets Max's particular cognitive problems, such as improving his memory, and Jan Wigmore says it's working very well. It's quite profound, the difference. We have a kid who can ask questions, who is engaging, who is putting sentences together that we understand, who is no longer re relying on rote sentences that he had learnt, uh, who can now put language together in a meaningful pattern. We see that he is socially, his eye contact is better, his confidence is in incredibly increased, and his sense of his place in the world has, has greatly improved. We believe the Ministries of the Crown have failed in their response to autism at all levels. We have actually under-resourced the people who are working with these children with their quite individual needs. Without these appropriate support services and resources, many New Zealand families, Pacific Island families and Maldives, and also our European families with financial strain will struggle. Both Wellington families made submissions to the Education and Science Select Committee's investigation of how schools cater for children with autism, dyslexia and other learning disorders. The inquiry acted as a lightning rod for the criticisms and complaints that have surrounded special education for years, attracting hundreds of submissions. The committee has not yet reported back, but the often emotional testimonies included calls for more funding, better training for teachers and earlier diagnosis and change is coming. The Education Ministry is finalising what it's calling an update of special education that will be rolled out early next year. Details are scarce, but the Ministry's Head of Sector Enablement and Support, Katrina Casey, explains the broad outline. We're looking at changing the system so that we basically have everything designed out from the child and we look at building on the things that we know work 
and that work incredibly well. And also looking at tailoring and targeting services and making sure that all the parts of the system that are delivered in different places are working together in the interests of the needs of the child. Katrina Casey says the Ministry is not expecting any new funding for the update, or at least not in the short term. Before you can talk about funding, you need to be convinced that the system itself is, is the most efficient and effective it can be, and we're not convinced about that. We will be able to test uh, the various funding scenarios once we have had a good look at redesigning the system. You just look at the 22 projects happening up and down the country and they're already getting gains that people didn't think were possible before. And the Education Minister, Hekia Parata, says funding for special needs learning has been increasing faster than inflation and role growth. We are currently spending 590 million or just over on special education and that has increased by 29% from six years ago. So there is more funding. But are we getting the best out of that funding is the question we're trying to answer, and I don't think we are. And I'm not ruling out the idea that more resourcing may be required. I'm just saying we're not anywhere near that point at this time. That's not going to go down well with teachers, principals and the families of children with disabilities. Max's father, Andrew Bird, is the principal of Muratai School in Eastbourne. He says schools are under pressure and funding is a big issue. There are frustrations within principals that do we have the resources, the skill set, the expertise available within the group of adults that we've got working at our school to be able to deliver individual education or modified programs to the children who have the needs within the school. So the pressure on the 2,600 schools that are in New Zealand to be able to deliver that to the cohort is huge. Andrew Bird says even the ongoing resourcing scheme, which gives children the most support, is under-resourced. They're not funded to the level that they need to be, so then the school has to top that up. And so that money, which is topped up to make sure that those programmes of the highest need students are successful, are taken from the next tier down, and the back flows right down to the system. So for the moderate needs, children are getting essentially underfunded. So the adaptation to their programmes are potentially not able to be applied because you're constantly filling the bucket of the highest needs kids. You know, when I look at the, our budget and I look at the shortfall, you know, it's not a huge amount of money, and if you tally it up across the, you know, but I'm sure the government would think different. But to be really successful for our highest needs kids, I just think schools need a little bit more. And if the principal of a high decile school is feeling the pinch, the pressure is even greater in lower decile schools. Manurewa East School is a decile one school, meaning many of its pupils are from poorer neighbourhoods. Ministry figures show schools in the lowest five deciles have a disproportionate share of children with the highest special needs. They have 40% of the children who go to school, but 61% of the children in the ongoing resourcing scheme and 60% of those in the ministry's behaviour service. How many children they have with moderate or low needs is not recorded, but the deputy principal at Manurewa East Kathleen Porter says there's a big gap between richer and poorer schools. Having just been at a Decile 10 school, where the Senko register would have been approximately five children, give or take. So hang on, the Senko register is the special education needs register? It is, yes. So the list of students requiring any extra support or care. So that could be about five children. It was for us at that given time. 
five minutes down the road at my new school, my new appointment, I've got a register of 30 to 50 children fluctuating in a given year. The only difference is the socio-economic area. There's a direct correlation between not just educational needs for those children, but also their health needs, the social needs, the access to housing, budgeting, resources for, through uh, WINS and social development, and, and what is on our register. It can't be denied, it's fact. Lower decile schools get a bit more operational funding in, uh, from the government and you, you get the special education grants. Is it enough to, to meet that extra need that you find in a lower decile school? Definitely not. It's not enough. It, the, you know, there never is going to be enough money to go around and we could probably forever quote the same sentence saying we wish we had more, but it just simply isn't enough at this given time. It's not. The principal at Manarewa East, Phil Palfrey, is a member of the Principals Federation's executive with responsibilities for special education. He says the strain on special education resources is amplified by a growing number of children with behavioural problems. We seem to have at the moment, and I've talked to a number of other principals across New Zealand, and there seems to be an ever-increasing number of kids who have very high behavioural needs. And sometimes they sit outside of all sorts of funding that we normally would access. So we're actually, at the moment, having to be extremely creative in both accessing funding and accessing professional support for these kids who have really over-the-top behaviour that probably, in, in my many years of being a principal, have never experienced the extent that we are, we get it coming into our school right now. And That's the issue for us. And these children, they've got behaviour needs, but uh, would they be classed as special needs if they sort of went to an educational psychologist or, or someone like yes, that and got diagnosed? Oh, they, they definitely would be. Phil Palfrey is positive about the special education update but he doubts it will go far enough. They do understand what we're dealing with, I get that. Um, but it's just, right now, it's not, there's nothing significant that's supporting us right now for those children. And I don't think that's anybody's fault. I think it's just that, that we all have to take a deep breath and actually say, hang on a minute, these 5% or so of kids in schools are causing a huge amount of damage and they need the support right now. When you Another part of the sector crying out for more funding is early childhood education. It has 20% of the children in the education system, but gets only 5% of the special education funding, though admittedly children average 21 hours a week in early education compared to 30 hours in schools. Katrina Casey indicates early childhood will benefit from the update. We know that intuitively if we move faster when a child is younger, we may well be able to get more help to them and therefore increase and improve the experience they have when they get to school. So a child with communication difficulties, for example, we know that uh, if those communication difficulties are not addressed, they often turn up as behaviour issues later. The Chief Executive of the Early Childhood Council, Peter Reynolds, says the changes had better happen fast because early learning centres need more support right now. I've got members telling me that they'll call special ed and say, look, we need to get somebody come out just to do an assessment to work out whether, in fact, there's support that should be available to this child. And the response they get is, fine, we'll put your name on the list and we'll be there in nine months. Well, that's just hopeless. It really is hopeless. The, the model isn't working that's there at the moment. It needs to be changed. And it's got to be done quickly. It's OK to take your time over, over doing a review or whatever you want to call it, but at the end of the day, we've got people falling through the gaps right now. And they shouldn't have to. 
there should be some sort of decision made that attends to the needs of these kiddies, gets the assessments done and works out where the help can be. At Newmarket School in Auckland, children's transition from early childhood to the classroom is the focus of a trial project, one of 22 the Ministry is running as part of its update scheme. Trish O'Brien is a resource teacher of learning and behaviour working on the project. Her role is to help teachers figure out how to work with children with special needs, and she says the aim of the project is to ensure the children, their families and their teachers are well supported as they start school. We've identified students who are uh, starting school this term and we are looking to provide what should be a seamless process for the families and for the student moving from early years education into the school system. The school's principal, Wendy Coford, says the trial is already making a difference. From a school's perspective, um, we now have a bridge between the early childhood centre and the school. So rather than children rock up on their fifth birthday ready to start school and, and the teacher, the, the school having no um, supports in place, not having met parents in some cases, we now are able to nest, I suppose, the child through into um, that starting school process. Wendy Coford says for the first time the school is getting information about children with moderate needs before they start school. Yes. For many students, diagnosis is where getting help for special education starts. But some parents, like Hutt Valley mother Luana Olalo, say getting an appointment, let alone a diagnosis, is not easy. I was like a volleyball, I was passed from one agency to the next agency and then I had to go private after that because I was, it was just frustrating waiting for these professionals to actually do something about my concerns. Luana Olalo says she broke her budget paying for a paediatrician to assess her son who was then four years old. He felt that there was something definitely wrong with my son, there was something that was not normal and he told me after two hours consultation that my son was Asperger's and also had um, ADHD. So he confirmed my doubts that there was something wrong with my son. Ms Olalo says it shouldn't be that hard. The president-elect of the New Zealand Psychological Society, Quentin Abraham, says a lot less time should be spent diagnosing children and figuring out which pocket of support they might qualify for. Internationally, studies have, have estimated that up to half the cost of catering for special educational needs is taken up with administration and with types of assessment for entitlement, that is, do they need a teacher aid or do they need this? We would like our members to do what they're trained for. Uh, they have six years of training to master at level. They are the experts in understanding uh, how to help teachers and their whānau solve those kinds of problems. You think that international estimate of about half the time being spent on admin and diagnosis would, would hold true here too? We don't have any figures. You know, some people have estimated it might be up to 20 to 30 percent, but we, we, we don't know and it would be good to know. It's educational psychologists who assess children and make the diagnosis that decides what help they might need. Quentin Abraham says part of the problem is that the Education Ministry does not employ enough of them. There are 181 educational psychologists employed by the Ministry. In Scotland uh, they have 400 
educational psychologists. It's a well-regarded system. We would need to double the number of educational psychologists to make them available to all young people in this country. At the moment, uh, we're used mainly for those that have the most severe difficulties. We would like to be available to do the kind of assessments, the kind of programs for young people at a much earlier stage while, rather than waiting for that to become a problem. The Ministry is not promising to hire more psychologists, but Katrina Casey says the amount of diagnosis and assessment should fall. At the moment, there are so many categories of need that you have to pigeonhole a child in order to access some funds or support. We'd like to simplify that. If we can match the right level of support to the right child, then I think we'll find the system freeze up a bit. For all the focus on levels of support and pools of funding, an awful lot hinges on how willing and able teachers are to work with children with special needs in their classrooms. Oh, I went to a primary school that didn't care about dyslexia. I wanted to leave primary school at nine years old and get my own job. Last year I was put into a dyslexic form class. Like I can actually do the work now. I can understand it and I find it easier the teachers knowing what dyslexia is and how to teach people with it. These teenagers were among a group from Kapiti College who gave evidence to the Education and Science Select Committee's hearing on autism and dyslexia last year. They told often heartbreaking stories of frustration and even mistreatment by teachers that ended when their learning difficulties were not only recognised but appropriately catered for. Thanks, girls. That was great. Sarah Sharp is a dyslexia specialist and geography teacher at Kapiti College. She was instrumental in setting up form classes specifically for children with learning difficulties, and she says it's not hard to make a big difference. You can put in generalised strategies that not only work for dyslexic students, but actually work for everybody, like um, using larger font if you're doing worksheets, using font like Comic Sans or Arial, printing stuff on coloured paper. A lot of dyslexic students have visual processing difficulties, and so just by printing on blue paper or cream paper, they can suddenly read, OK? If you have larger font, if you increase line spacing. So all of this really is good teaching, whether it's to a class of dyslexic students or non-dyslexic students. Sarah Sharp says such simple interventions work. Students' results improve after they enter the dyslexia-friendly classes, and so too does their behaviour. Have I got your seat? Oh, it's all right. Back at Newmarket School in Auckland, the Special Education Needs Coordinator, Andrea Desforges, says teachers who seem reluctant to work with children with special needs usually just lack confidence. Sometimes I think teachers feel a little apprehensive. They can feel, oh gosh, you know, I have all these children and I now have this child, and they, the immediate thing is, this child could be a real problem for me. And that can be down to just not knowing and not having that experience, rather than seeing the child as a problem, thinking, oh well, okay, I've got this child, this child um, has uh, autism, uh, let's find out a bit more about this child and what we can do. Resource teacher of learning and behaviour, Trish O'Brien, says she and her colleagues can help schools work out how to accommodate a child 
but sometimes the money is lacking. We've got the systems to some extent to source the training, to deliver the training, to uh, ensure that what we put into place is sustainable to support the students, but often we run a little bit short on where the funding's going to come to actually put the people who are going to put those interventions into place. But Giovanni Tiso says the reluctance of some schools and teachers goes much deeper than their preparation for and understanding of disabilities. He says the very structure of the school system encourages schools to avoid enrolling children with special needs. The policy is such that it rewards the schools that aren't inclusive. If you do use your operational funding to support your children with special needs on above and beyond the very little provision there is, that's money that could have gone somewhere else. It could have gone into making the school look better. It could have gone into other programs that attract other parents. And because there's competition between public schools, that's what really creates a very powerful incentive not to have a lot of children with special needs in your school. Giovanni Tiso says schools that welcome children with special needs are also punished in their national standards results. The disability advocacy group, the IHC, says the situation is so bad it made a complaint under the Human Rights Act eight years ago, which it hopes will reach court this year. The IHC's director of advocacy, Trish Grant, says it took the case because some schools actively discourage enrolment by children with special needs or limit their attendance. They may be turned away at the door. They may also say, look, we've got some resourcing but not enough. This will mean that your child will have to um, go home at lunchtime or at 10 o'clock. We haven't got the level of resourcing to have your child at school all day. They can be away from other children and definitely won't be able to attend camps or be in school concerts along with other children. So the child has conditions placed on their enrolment. Now, that doesn't happen to any other group of children. So for that reason alone, we're saying that is discrimination and there are large numbers of children and young people with disabilities discriminated against every day in New Zealand schools. Trish Grant says if the IHC wins its case there will have to be major changes. One of the remedies of the case that we would be seeking is a complete overhaul of the system so that no child, no child with disabilities misses out in the way that they're doing today so it would be a resourcing and policy framework overhaul. Trish Grant says the overhaul would need to give the Education Ministry the power to enforce a child with special needs right to enrol at their local school. But she doubts any bold changes will be made. To be fair, the, the system design is still being designed, but from what we've seen, we're not confident that there's anything new or different in here that's going to address the issues that have been consistently raised by principals, by teacher unions and by families and advocacy groups like IHC. But Katrina Casey says cases of discrimination have become a lot less common, and when they do come up, they're usually because a school is worried there is not enough support for the child in question. Every example I can think of in the last couple of years has pretty much been around how do we support those kids. And interestingly enough, when a case is brought to our attention, generally we're able to put a package together that supports the child being enrolled in the school. How far the overhaul will go toward making all schools genuinely welcoming of children with special needs is yet to be seen. The Education Minister, Hekia Parata, says she's confident the changes will free up existing resources and improve the system. But teachers, principals and parents are adamant little will change without more money. And Giovanni Tiso and Justine Fletcher say the answer is really very simple. 
What you want to do is you want to be rewarding the schools that do well in that area rather than doing the opposite. And then other schools will follow because they will recognise that it is not, you know, that burden is no longer kind of unsustainable. And there are also great benefits for all the, all the regular kids too, having experiences with all the children who aren't quite as usual and typical. Inclusive education is good for all kids. I'm John Gerritsen, and that's Insight for this week. If you have any thoughts or want to get in touch, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send a tweet. Our Twitter handle is at insightrnz. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolley and Teresa Cowie with technical production by Daniel Bebbin.